0: Hey everybody and welcome to the Five Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast as always is brought to you by my sponsors, Policy Pack Software, where you use group policy or MDM to remove admin rights, manage and lockdown applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware plus more. And also by Liquidware, the innovator in adaptive workspace management solutions. And of course, also by Goliath Technologies, who help IT pros be proactive and anticipate, troubleshoot, and prevent end-user experience issues, regardless of where IT workloads or users are located. If you enjoy the show each week, you have these awesome sponsors to thank. And now for some news. In what was some surprising news for many this week, HP announced they are set to acquire Teradachi. This is of course the company behind PCoIP. In the EUC space, most will be familiar with the PCoIP as the dominant protocol in VMware Horizon through the 5.x versions of the product. Of course, VMware have been promoting the use of Blast over PCoIP for some time now. Interestingly, HP have said the acquisition will enhance HP's capabilities in the personal systems category by delivering new compute models and services tailored for hybrid work. In the announcement, HP stated that through its award-winning Z-Central Remote Boost software, which is focused on providing remote access to physical workstations, HP is enabling remote and hybrid work for professionals such as engineers, animators, editors, and other users of high-performance computing. It said Teradachi brings a complementary set of capabilities that are focused on cloud PCs and virtual workstations. Combining the two remote access solutions will enable HP to offer a broader remote compute platform that spans on-premises and cloud solutions from any type of device, including macOS, public clouds, and iPad and Android tablets. The transaction is expected to close in Q4 of 2021, this year, pending regulatory review and other customary closing conditions. They've said that financial terms of the transaction have not been disclosed. Being completely honest, I've never heard of Z-Central Remote Boost Software. It may have been renamed because I seem to recall that HP had basically like dedicated machines on a blade sitting in the data center that was like a persistent desktop that users could remote into for work. And that kind of does align with their story here of well, you can remote into physical machines and that's perfect for those high-end users, which I completely agree with. So during the pandemic, what I found, particularly for things like data analysts who are maybe running Power BI and running stuff that's very resource intensive, you know, the protocol for Citrix is awesome, HDX, but running on a virtual machine for that type of intensive stuff isn't the best. So if you have a beefy physical machine in the office, that they can connect to with Citrix Remote PC, it provides a really great experience. And it doesn't tax resources for other users on a shared machine. Now I know that HP have been working on their cloud offering for years and they've kind of changed from building out their own cloud offering to them pivoting towards more Azure services. So I'm wondering if this is going to pivot them back towards more of their own cloud services. I'm guessing this could be part of a push to get a slice of that desktop as a service pie and honestly it's likely a smart play as this week the CEO of Intel suggested the global chip shortage could go on for two years so hardware could become more scarce. HP should likely focus more effort on its software and enterprise services. So I recorded last week's episode on Wednesday night and uploaded it on Thursday. As I was recording the episode, a big story broke. Microsoft had warned of a vulnerability that could expose admin passwords to any local Windows 10 user. It is being called Hive Nightmare and Serious Sam. The vulnerability is down to the fact that the security account manager, Sam, thus the name Serious Sam, but the Sam file became read-enabled for all users and Forbes reported that at first it was believed this was just an incorrect setting in the preview version of Windows 11 but then it was also seen in Windows 10. Although it was reported over a week ago now there is still no out-of-band patch available at the time of this recording. Microsoft has issued a workaround to restrict access using the command prompt or PowerShell and then deleting the existing system restore points. I guess one good thing is that server operating systems are not affected, but this is a doozy of a vulnerability. So if you haven't taken mitigating steps yet, I'll share a link to the story with this episode, which is episode 187. You'll find it on fivebytespodcast.com under reference links, and it's something you should focus on immediately. And because misery loves company, BleepyComputer.com reported that there's a new NTLM relay attack being called Petit Potam, great name, and that allows threat actors to take over a domain controller and thus an entire Windows domain. A proof of concept script for the Petit Potam technique is on GitHub that could be used to force a domain controller to authenticate against a remote NTLM under an attacker's control using something called the MS Dash EFSRPC API. Security researchers say the only way to mitigate this technique is to disable NTLM authentication or enable protections such as SMB signing, LDAP signing, and channel binding. Benjamin Delphi the creator of MimiCats, also tested the Petit Potam attack and has suggested mitigations, including removing web enroll, saying you don't really need that since you can use RPC, remove or disable NTLM, use Kerbos instead, and try extended protection for authentication with SSL. Microsoft have also put out an advisory for how to combat against this vulnerability. It looks like people will be dragged kicking and screaming away from NTLM. Thanks to Martin Dews for this next one. He shared an update to CTX319750, which is a Citrix vulnerability I reported on the podcast previously. This is the local privilege escalation on a Windows VDA issue for those with Citrix profile management or even just the profile management WMI plugin on their VDAs. It appears there are updated patches now available to address some performance issues caused by the original patches. The article also now contains a possible mitigation which is setting a policy to disable Windows Installer which I guess is okay on a VDA since it's a managed image and you could maintain the image with policies blocked so when you do need to use Windows Installer, you're on as your local admin where policies aren't being applied so you can use Windows Installer to install apps and whatever you need. It's probably a good idea to block it anyway I guess. In some positive security news, BleepyComputer.com has reported that Microsoft have extended Defender for Office 365 Safe Links protection to Microsoft Teams to help safeguard users from malicious URL-based phishing attacks. Using Safe Links can help protect enterprise organizations from malicious links sent by threat actors behind phishing attempts and other attacks. So I know one possible avenue is through the incoming webhooks. Maybe someone could infiltrate that for their own nefarious purposes and just send what looks like maybe harmless alerts with links in them. But in actual fact, it's a malicious link. It said that the safe links protection for teams is now generally available and it works for links in conversations, group chats and teams channels. And since there is no safe links policy enabled by default, you will need to create one or more policies to get the protection of safe links in your teams. And again, I'll share a link to the story, which also includes a link on how to configure safe links to protect your Microsoft Teams users. So check that out. One of my absolute favorite enterprise products, Abventix has just had version 3.2 released, which brings some amazing new features like the ability to now manage and deploy FSLogix rules files. I posted a blog a few years ago now, I think, with how I deliver rules using my app V apps. So if I wanted to hide something that I need to put local like a print object or a printer driver or whatever with my app V application, I might also deliver an FS logics rule to mask that printer object from those who should not see it. But with this new approach with Aventix, I wouldn't need to do that anymore and I'd be able to manage those FS logics rules in real time rather than relying on it to be added when the application is added and removed when the application is removed. One of the exciting new features is their real-time user inventory feature. So with AppVentix already and in the past, you're able to inventory machines and see which packages they had deployed and then manage them centrally. But now it's also possible to look up users who are logged on and which packages they have published. From there, you can offer a package reset for a user to bring the application back in its original state and verify if a user has the right applications published. So handy when you're troubleshooting and someone says they don't have a shortcut or an icon, you know. AppVentex also now supports NSIX shared containers, which are similar to the AppV connection groups of old, where containers share the same environment and can see each other's files and registry and whatever. There's also an MSIX simplified certificate management, which is awesome because that's one of the biggest pains in the butt when you're switching to MSIX, at least in my opinion. You can now also switch between multiple Azure subscriptions for your AVD management needs. And in AppVentix, you can now also switch between Azure subscriptions for your AVD management needs, and much more. If you've never tried Adventix, I believe it's still free for up to five users. So check the product out in your lab, play around with it. It is the best application deployment product that I have ever worked with. It's so simple. Any follow-up story to something I reported on months ago, ZDNet have reported that Microsoft look set to drop their store for business and store for education in the first quarter of 2023. Microsoft officials said they will be bringing together the management capabilities of Microsoft Endpoint Manager, the new Microsoft Store app that's being built for Windows 10 and Windows 11, and Windows Package Manager in a way that will enable IT pros and education admins to control the apps being downloaded by users in their organizations. So that's interesting. I think it makes a lot of sense to wrap Windows Package Manager into a store-like experience and have the option to have different package formats like MSIX and MSI for a single app and then allow someone to choose between which one to install. And obviously with Microsoft Endpoint Manager and what we saw Windows 365, that's becoming more of a prominent figure for the future of Application deployments in Azure, which is surprising, kind of. I mean, MECM, which I guess maybe this is slightly different, although it looks the same and acts the same. You know, MECM was never very performant for non persistent virtual desktops. So possibly they've made improvements in here. I think I've said that before, but I hope to try it out in the next few weeks when Windows 365 goes live next week on the 2nd. Interestingly, there doesn't seem to be details on paid apps from the store and how those might carry over for enterprise and education customers. I would imagine it's a very small number of people who have installed apps this way in an enterprise, so maybe it's not worth reporting on and it's something that will be clarified later. Google have announced that their Google Bookmarks feature would be going away. This is not bookmarks within Chrome. The service was used by some third-party apps and as a cross-device bookmarking tool by some. Google confirmed to to 9to5google.com that while starred locations within Google Maps do currently rely on Google bookmarks, they have no plans to remove or disrupt the starred feature and it will continue to function. And this is not another example of Google quickly canning a feature as bookmarks has been around for 16 years. And I already mentioned earlier, but Microsoft Endpoint Manager also got some nice updates this month, including Windows 10 device diagnostics to help speed up troubleshooting and root cause analysis for device issues, and also increased analytics to help assess your workforce's ability to work from anywhere. That one is interesting since obviously, like I said, MEM, or Microsoft Endpoint Manager, was announced as being part of Cloud PC on Windows 365, so you could see why this is relevant. Based on the one screenshot I see, it looks a little lacking in data right now, but I'm sure it's something that they're gonna work on and this is just a starting point. Tim Mangan's awesome TM Edit X tool has had an update to bring it to version 1.6.0.0 and he has added Windows 11 styling. Geez, Tim is on the ball, huh? He's also added support for saving as SIM or CIM for those MSIX app attach optimized formats. Also added support for working with bundles and support for URL replacement and app installer files, as well as for adding mounting of those SIM MSIX app attach formats. He also said that due to limitations imposed by Microsoft, their code signing certificate used previously has expired and the package lineage will be broken as a result. For this release, you must uninstall the old version you had and install this new version. And now a few quick hit stories to wrap up the news for this week. But first, Aaron Parker shared a pretty interesting screenshot that suggests Intune may be about to allow you to manage Chrome OS devices with it. Nice catch in the Microsoft docs by Aaron. I'm looking forward to hearing more clarification from Microsoft on this. Microsoft's HD Insight is now generally available in the West US3 region in Azure. Azure HD Insight is a managed full-spectrum open-source analytics service in the cloud for enterprises. You can use open-source frameworks such as Hadoop, Apache Spark, Apache Hive, LLAP, Apache Kafka, Apache Storm, R and more with the service. The July 2021 update for the MSIX packaging tool is also now available, and that features mostly just minor bug fixes. My buddy Trent Tai published an article showing ControlUp's Remote DX product and how it can help you address some of the common complaints from remote or hybrid workers. This is thanks to the amazing level of detail it shows on a remote worker's home network. It is also powerful for your regular enterprise network too, like giving you the ability to observe in real time a user as they move from one access point to another. It's definitely one worth checking out. Microsoft has reminded customers that Microsoft 365 apps and services will drop support for the legacy IE11 browser next month on August 17th, 2021. After the end of support is reached, those still trying to connect to Microsoft 365 may face degraded user experience or connection failures when using IE 11 The Start VM on Connect feature in Azure that I talked about being in preview before is now generally available. This means you can empower users, so if they try to maybe launch a desktop out of hours and you have all the desktops powered down at that time, once they launch the desktop icon within their client or within their browser, It then initiates a power on of the VM. And then after a few minutes, it will be up and they'll be logged into it. This is something that Citrix Cloud has had for a while, that Nutanix WeFrame has also had for a while. And it's really a must have, and it's great that it's now within Azure Virtual Desktop too. Kaspersky has warned that fake Windows 11 installers are making the rounds on the internet, aiming to trick users into installing them by exploiting their desire to have Windows 11 ahead of its official public release. There's a good chance that these installers don't actually install Windows 11 at all. It instead appears to boot up and then ask you to accept a license agreement which then runs a malicious executable. The software installed covers wide ranges of malicious software types from relatively harmless yet annoying adware, through to more nefarious software that can be designed to steal passwords like keyloggers, exploits, and some other nasty surprises in there too. And that's it for the news this week. Now, a weekly webinar. Well, I called it a webinar, but really it's not a webinar. It is E2EVC 2021 Hamburg Hybrid Edition. This is, of course, an awesome virtualization conference, beloved by the community, and it starts at 9 a.m. BST on Friday, August 6th. So be there or be square, and you can register still today, and I'll share a link to the registration with this episode. And now this episode, Scripts, Tricks, and Tips. Tips. Microsoft has published an Azure Virtual Desktop Handbook around application management. They say in the free handbook, you can learn how to streamline app management in Azure Virtual Desktop through a new application layering solution called MSIX App Attach. They say download the handbook to learn about app management fundamentals and technologies including MSIX, MSIX App Attach, and MSIX Packages, which I'm guessing... I didn't realize maybe MSIX packages is the official name for when you're deploying the MSIX apps within the Azure Virtual Desktop, because that's what it's called when you go into the host pool, I guess. (laughs) That's new to me. Um, Also, you can get technical step-by-step guidance on how to centralize app delivery and management, as well as explore best practices and troubleshooting tips to optimize your app management. Thanks yet again to Thorsten, who shared a great blog by Steven Lemannier that lets you migrate your entire on-prem Citrix site configuration to another on-prem site to ease your upgrade or to create maybe a dev environment using PowerShell scripts. Steven says he tested only on LTSR, but it should work on the current release versions too. And another one shared by Thorsten, On Windows OS Hub or WSHub.com, they have an article on how to change permissions on Windows services to allow users control over certain services. Now I don't know that that is something that I would do, at least not very often, but it might be useful for something like VPN software where possibly there's issues that can be fixed by just restarting the service and you could educate the users to restart the service themselves. Maybe. Might be a bad example. (laughs) I don't know. Luckily, I haven't had to support VPNs very much in the last, geez, I don't know, eight, nine years. Luis Fries shared a really cool tip that in Edge, you can name your tabs. Now, I didn't know this. I think you can group tabs and name groups within Chrome, although I don't do it. But this way within Edge, when you want to use Alt-Tab to toggle, since you've got the actual tabs labeled, you can just find the tab easily when you're in that menu with the Alt tab open and all the windows are showing on your screen and just click on the one that you've labeled. I didn't know this exists, maybe everyone else does, but I think it's awesome and it's something I'm definitely gonna use. Also really cool and something I didn't know existed either, uh, came in the form of a tip from Jen Gentleman, who's an awesome follow on Twitter, by the way. So you should follow Luis and Jen for more tips. But did you know that apps pinned to the taskbar can be launched by pressing the Windows key and a corresponding number with the position the shortcut is on on the taskbar? So, you know, in Power Toys, you're able to split up, we well, could split up the taskbar and have the shortcuts numbered on your taskbar and then just press like Windows and three maybe to launch your Outlook that's pinned on the taskbar. Very cool stuff. Community legend Carl Webster, or Webster as he's better known, took his blog series on setting up his lab and converted it into a PDF that you can download. I featured multiple parts of his blog series on this podcast within the Scripts, Tricks, and Tips segment in the past. This series took webster almost 700 hours to complete if you do download a copy for yourself please consider donating if you can afford to and very quickly before i wrap up this week's episode i'd like to thank everybody who attended the first ever cloud paging user group last week we had a really great turnout which is very impressive for the first event that's ever been held particularly on a friday if you would like to join a future event Please consider registering today. I'm about to send out a survey that hopefully, when you answer, will help decide the future of the user group and also plan out content. So if you don't know anything about cloud paging today and you want to be in kind of like a beginner's group and maybe get some free training, that's something we're thinking about offering through the user group. If you're more advanced and you'd just like to hear from customers who have tens of thousands of users consuming applications to cloud paging. You can also attend those meetings too and bring whatever questions you might have or any issues you might encounter that you think you might need help with. We're all happy to support each other. Well, that's it for another episode of the podcast. Thank you all so much for listening.